Hello, Ash. Uh, happy Sunday. Um, happy middle of December. I hope everything is going well in your world. Yes, things are fine. We're mis- busy in the sort of swing upswing to the holidays. Oh, uh, <laughs> I cannot wait. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm pretty excited about it this year. We've got a we've got a little kid uh, who's just about to turn six, and so she's still five, and uh, it's just like a exciting time we took her into manhattan to see nice. santa claus at bloomingdale's is very fancy um and we saw uh the tree at rockefeller center yesterday um if you're a new yorker and have never done this in the middle of december uh never do it is my advice it was pretty terrible oh no <laughs> i mean it was just like um like shoulder to shoulder people for blocks uh, and blocks uh, uh, just to get to the tree and muscle your way up and try and get a a, no. a selfie <laughs> Uh, we, we're glad we did it, but even my daughter was kind of like, all right, can we get out of here, please? And we're just like, yes, yes, we can. <laughs> Although, no, we can't because now we've got to go through a crowd. Uh, right. You're not blocks. getting out of there in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So glad we did it once. Normally, if we do that, it's kind of more, uh, say, tail end of uh, November. And mm. I've never seen it quite as crazy at that time. So maybe it's just a difference of when we went. So the, the, the suggestion there is do it early, but not quite this close to uh, Christmas proper. <laughs> yeah. Or if anyone has any magical secrets about <laughs> when the best time to go is. It's not like I've tried this a lot, uh, but we do have gone usually once a year. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say that um, in 2023, December 17th was not the day to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's a that's a scary thought. I remember one time um, this was pre-COVID before before everything happened with the pandemic and I t- it had totally skipped my mind and um, the Adobe office down in New York, I was walking to this train station and once you know it, it was um, Halloween and I got caught in the parade um, in a mass of people and so I basically was stuck in the or stuck watching the Halloween parade for a couple of hours because there was no simple way to get to the path, the direction I had taken. And by the time I realized my mistake, I was buried deep into the crowd. And like you said, there was no no getting back. So it's like, OK, I'm I'm here for the duration. <laughs> that was not in my plans for that evening. But um, I can also easily understand the mm, uh, uh, it's fine to have done it once. I, I am not a crowd person. <laughs> yeah. And av- avoiding the crowds is definitely a, a, a skill all New Yorkers <laughs> and folks that uh, commute in frequently have to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a lot, you know, like uh, most of us know here that, you know, going to Times Square is just not something oh, one nope. does unless one has to. Uh, and I think sometimes the assumptions that it's sort of the beating heart of the city, uh, may- maybe it is for some people, but like, yeah, if I go once a year, that's, that's plenty. That's sufficient. Yeah. I'm glad I did not have to go down there very often. <laughs> <laughs> so as we are talking about wrapping up this whole year of stuff, uh, and there's lots of fun to be had, uh, you know, crowds yes. or no crowds. Um, it's also been just a fun year of kind of digging into programming and scripting. And, you know, we sort of re-kicked off uh, our, our little podcast here. And uh, it's been an awesome chance to talk about some things on, in quasi real time every couple of weeks mm-hmm. about like some of the stuff we're working on or things that are on our minds. Or, you know, even one time we had a chance to try out uh that application Decker, which is mm-hmm. like a, sort of like a hypercard um, 
style application and it, using the podcast as a for forcing function to sort of try it and do something with it and then compare notes was just a ton of fun. Um, I thought that, you know, kind of thinking back on some of those things, but I guess we kicked off this podcast in August or September sometime around then. I think it um, sounds about right. Yeah, so, I think we've gotten a good nine, eight or nine in in um, this ha last half of the year. Yeah, which has already been enough time for us to cover quite a bit of territory in terms of just like fun things yes. that we're thinking about or working on. But that's only, you know, a, roughly a quarter of the year. So, you know, whether it's been in this last three months or even kind of thinking back to January, if you can remember that far back, I, I don't know if I can. Uh, but I will say that, you know, everything's open in terms of just like looking back and considering um what have we been thinking about this year? What's been on our minds? Uh, and kind of go back and uh, kind of talk about the fun stuff, uh, technologies that have caught our interest, things we've spent time with. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> I guess the ground rules here, if there are <laughs> any, and let's be... Ground let's, rules? What are ground rules? <laughs> let, let's face it, there really aren't. But uh, here, here's the thing that you and I are very self, uh, let's <clears> say, uh, aware of, which is that uh, when it comes to uh, sticking to a short amount of time to cover a topic about tech, we're not good at this. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> what we are good at is having a single idea and then jamming on it for an hour and a half. Uh, and so one of the tricks about uh, this one in particular is uh, what, you know, as we go back and kind of survey the year of technology for ourselves and what caught our eye, um, right before we jumped on, we made some quick lists of things that we thought we'd bring up. Um, it's, three things that you were interested in uh, and three things that I were I was interested in in 2022. And then we'll also kind of look ahead to 2023 and kind of just note some stuff that we think we might be uh, kind of getting hands on with and playing around with. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, kind of coming back to said ground rules, uh, <laughs> that means that uh, we're going to try to do our best to stick to a short amount of time. This is going to be really hard for us because we're going to so talk... Painful. We're going to talk about a lot of things where immediately you're going to say something and I'll be like, ah, I need a, uh, so many questions. Or I'm like, oh, me too. I want to talk about that too. And I'm going to do my best not to do that. Uh, and hopefully the same. Yeah, if we do, and this totally goes off the rails, um, we expect that anyone listening to this will forgive us and know that <laughs> <Please>. like, we're, <laughs> we're just trying to follow, follow the path of fun scripting and technology stuff. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be something, uh, something challenging to, uh, restrain, uh, oneself, but, um, on the flip side, any of the stuff that we do want to rabbit hole into, um, that will be good fodder for future episodes. So indeed, we can, we, we can always say we will come back to it in a future episode. <laughs> yeah. Just do the classic. We'll put a pen in that one. Flag yes. it in the show notes for some sort of cue in the future of things to talk about. Absolutely. Yeah. So I really, really love this idea because I mean, there's all sorts of, um, things that we, we've both been working on things happening in the technology landscape that are drawing one's attention, personal projects, et cetera. So I am very, very glad you suggested it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a fun one. So why don't we just jump straight into it? Absolutely. We're going to talk about 2022, um, top three things-ish, three-ish things. Uh, and I noticed in our list that we both cheated <laughs> because... <laughs> 
<laughs> we have already broken the rules. <laughs> it is already we're doomed. We're doomed because uh, each one of our topics turned into a whole section of like laundry list items of things. It's like here, here's a whole category of the universe, and within here are all the things that I think is cool. So, yes. uh, well, that's fine. Let's <clears throat> take it and run with it. Um, so. First up, it's 2022, uh, and Carrie, let's kick it off with you. Uh, what yeah. kept you interested this year? Well, I'll start high level, and then um, we can we can dig into any of it that that sounds interesting. So, um, there's kind of been um, a, a lot of stuff that I've been thinking about when it comes to uh, JavaScript, but not just JavaScript, like programming in general. And I've got some personal projects that I've been kind of working on, but then there's, uh, you know, everything around work as well. And so my world tends to be in JavaScript, HTML, CSS, or in my personal projects, I'm trying to branch out a little bit. Um, I love JavaScript. Don't get me wrong. Um, but on the flip side, it's like, I don't necessarily want that to be like my only, experience and it, and it hasn't been in the past because I know lots of languages but um, I thought this year it would be kind of cool to start exploring Swift um, and I've done a little bit of mobile application development in the past um, both with um, PhoneGap um, and also with Objective-C which I'm a weirdo I don't mind Objective-C it seems like everyone else hates, <laughs> hates on Objective-C I kind of like the verbosity, which actually explains a lot because I also like to go on and on about topics. So <laughs> I'm a verbose person. I like verbose programming languages. <laughs> well, I'll say, you know, so Objective-C, you know, I I never, let's say I went from fearing it to not minding it. I didn't mm -hmm. love it nor despise it. But one of the things that I really picked up kind of culturally from Objective-C was verbose naming of uh, methods and, mm, and yes. variables. Um, for me, I carry that into JavaScript. Uh, I've definitely uh, seen people over on projects where you're like, we cut the character count on this one. And I'm like, you know what? Like, that's fine. We can do that. But for me, I, I'm like, you know, if I can just like read the variable name and the function name and and get pretty solid understanding mm -hmm. of what's going on, kind of feels win. like a win. Yeah, I'm all about it. Plus, never, never mind the fact that in the, you know, I'm going to say in the olden days before we had, you know, auto completion and all of that stuff. Okay. Long variable names suck in these world, you know, days where you can get auto complete and all of that stuff. I'm, I'm a fan of them just because it's nice and descriptive and I can kind of read through the code a little bit more. Um, but I decided this year I would start to dig into Swift, which is a bit of a paradigm shift for me because I'm very familiar with Objective-C. I'm very familiar with JavaScript, but Swift is, it's not new anymore. I, it would be a stretch to call it new by any stretch of the imagination, but it's been through several versions. And I had this new idea for a project that I wanted to build. And it's like, I could start it in JavaScript or I could do it in Objective-C, but let's learn something new. And it will be of no surprise to anyone given the topics of our last discussion um, where um, we were t doing a deep dive into logic um, and scripting logic, which is a digital audio workstation. Um, so I've been working on an app that interfaces with MIDI um, that will work on macOS, on iOS, um, cross-platform in that regard. And so Swift felt like a natural starting point. And so I've really been digging into that one. I will say my biggest frustration there has been Apple's typical lack of developer experience, um, which dr drives me up the wall. <laughs> 
I don't know. I mean, I know uh, having working at a company where um, we work on um, extensibility, I totally understand developer experience is not the easiest thing in the world. But Apple's approach to developer experience just drives me batty. Um, so that's been the biggest challenge to building anything um, that I feel like is shippable. Like I can get proofs of concept going in a hurry. Swift is like Swift UI, especially having come from the world of React where you've got declarative UI. Swift UI is really cool. And until it breaks and then you're left going, well, how in the world, what in the world, why, you know, what is it doing? Why is it doing this? So I've got a proof of concept and now the hard part is actually turning that into something real. Um, I think that's been my biggest frustration with learning Swift is just the, the, the lack of good documentation around um, not necessarily the language, like the mm -hmm. language itself is well-documented. All of the Apple things that come along with it in the ecosystem, because they, to be fair, they're bad about it in Objective-C too. Um, that has been the most <laughs> painful That's very part. kind to be fair in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to, I'll spread it out a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. I think that's been, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, it's 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 interesting to see the, like, the, your experience with this maps to my own um, circa, I want to say maybe this was like 2017 ish era mm -hmm. when um, whenever that year was that iMessage came out with uh, the ability to extend. Oh, the yes. iMessage application with different things. So mm -hmm. I worked with a couple of artists that I know back in Japan to build out um, some sticker pack applications that you could then like stick into the chat, you know, kind of assuming that would become a thing. Um, as far as I can tell, it did not. No one I know ever uses it. This, it I don't even <laughs> go in that into that section. It's so only sad. by accident. <laughs> only and occasionally, if I'm trying to find the camera, I'm like, "Where's the camera?" And then you remember that bar is there. Right. So, um, but I will say that, like, you know, just I can remember a time over that summer trying to get ready for that version of iOS's launch. Uh, I was. It was funny because after years of listening to iOS developers talk about like. Um, what a crunch the summer is for them. I experienced that in my own life directly once, um, <laughs> just as on a side project, trying to get the stuff ready. And it was 100% of it was trying to make the UI do what I expected it to do yes. in all possible permutations. Yes. This was before Swift UI. Uh, I think it was not long after the advent of constraints, maybe. Uh, I Fun don't, times, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just remember dragging and dropping like these little lines and things, and then I don't know. It was a whole thing. Um, but interesting to hear that um, not a lot's changed on that front. It sounds like from the developer experience side of things. No, frustratingly. Um, and in fact, there's actually another site that um, has been a lifesaver. Um, and I'll have to see if I can. Um, I don't know if it'll be in my history, um, but. Um, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Um, but there's basically a, um, a website out there. Um, if you look for Swift UI, you'll find it pretty much in a heartbeat, um, except for the, the moment when I'm actually trying to do that as we talk. Um, and uh, that has been the lifesaver for me because it goes through some um, real life examples um, and, you know, specific ways of, of getting a, a specific look and feel. And so it's turned out to be really handy there that like, that's actually the first place I go <laughs> if I have a question, um, instead of Apple's own docs. And I will still say like that, that, that problem you were facing where you've got all of these permutations going on of, 
does it work in this form factor versus this form factor? At least in my proof of concept, which I may be doing something completely wrong in my code, it's still a thing, frustratingly, is in in one mode, like in full screen mode, it works great. If I rotate it, um, and this is a master detail app, so you have a sidebar and a detail panel. When you rotate it so that you're in portrait, the detail or the, the side panel auto hides. And then something breaks in all of that, that now um, tapping on an item there doesn't update it in the right way to the other the other panel, if I remember right. And so it's one of those things that I know I will find a solution for probably on this website, but it's like those little, little nits of like, shoot, that means I'm going to have to, you know, do it in a lot of different ways of testing to make sure that it's working in the various modes that people are actually going to use it. Um, so Swift UI does not solve the complexities <laughs> necessarily of iOS development. It is quite nice that I can take my React knowledge, my UI, um, the declarative nature, uh, where the UI being a function of state, and bring it into Swift. Um, whereas Objective-C, it was always, I always did it imperatively. And in fact, I eschewed um, Interface Builder. I think that was what it was called. Mm -hmm. um, just because I didn't like so much of the magic of wiring things up um, in that way. And I also mostly issued uh, constraints um, and just focused on, okay, you rotated me to this, I'll recalculate everything, be done with it. Um, but it was very imperative. It was very much not a declarative way of building UI. And Swift UI is declarative. So it's been nice to bring that skill set to bear. React did prepare me for a lot of that. Um, it's really just a lot of the syntax is a little bit weird. <laughs> I still want to put semicolons and um, some of the way Swift UI looks is, is, is funny. Um, but it could be so much better. Like if you had some really great developer experience around it, and if you didn't have, um, some of these, some really obtuse error messages and JavaScript is not immune to this, but Swift UI really loves to throw some doozies at you. And it's like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like I, <laughs> my brain just shuts down. Um, so that has been, I think those two things have been the most frustrating thing experience. I'm enjoying the the learning of the new language and the new paradigm. Um, but it could be so much, so much happier uh, with an improved developer experience. So I think of all the biggest thing, probably my theme this year is like developer experience is so vitally important um, to ensuring a, a good experience and that people want to continue learning your technology, your platform etc. So that's probably my biggest takeaway of anything um, going on this year. Yeah. And, and one thing that I might add on there is just like a shout out to a tool that I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not even sure <laughs> if it's still in working order or if it's still a thing. But years ago, there was uh, when I was working on uh, that, those iOS uh, sticker apps, I was using something called Dash. Yes. Uh, because, oh, I love Dash. Right? It's like this local app um, that you can get on kind of anywhere. I seem to recall having it on iOS as well, um, where you can download local copies of mm -hmm. uh, doc sets from all sorts of vendors and uh, frameworks and stuff. Yes. And uh, when I found that I was needing to search for things uh, inside of uh, Apple documentation, like that really ended up being my escape hatch most of the time, um, kind of between that and using Google. Um, as a as a way to sort of find your way through and then lots of bookmarks so you can find your way back. Um, but I found like uh, if, if that app still exists and is a thing, 
I know it kind of went away briefly and then came back if I remember right. Uh, I'm not sure where it is now. Uh, but anyways, definitely worth checking out if it's still the app. I remember it being at that time, which was kind of a lifesaver. Yeah, they're being able to rapidly search through all of these docs and, and quickly find that information. Um, super, super valuable to me. Um, and I think if anything, that's that's, a, you know, we talked about it last week with Logic uh, Pro Scripter, not being able to easily search for the stuff that you're looking for iOS or uh, Swift and Objective-C documentation tends to have the same problem. You can search for lots of things and you'll probably get results. And then you'll end up staring at a piece of documentation of class names and method names that make no sense, no examples, no understanding of how I would plug these in. And that's where I'll find that other website because what it's not, what it does nicely is it ties these together. When would you want to use this particular thing? how would you connect these things together to achieve this particular look and feel um, is super, super beneficial for me because now I have like, oh, what I'm working on is kind of like that. It's never going to be exactly like that, but now I can kind of apply that as a recipe. Um, so I will definitely put that in the show notes for anyone who's thinking about learning Swift or Swift UI. Um, the site will be incredibly valuable um, to picking all of that stuff up. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, I, I didn't say why I picked Swift initially, um, other than like, wh why not JavaScript? Because um, the tool I'm working on doesn't necessarily require Swift or anything like this. The biggest challenge I was running into was, um, yes, there's a thing called Web MIDI, and this is a MIDI-based app. Um, but I wanted to build something um, that wasn't, you know, dependent on specific browsers. <laughs> Uh, um, and I also wanted to kind of be able to ship it more like a, like maybe use react natives. That was my, actually my initial thought. Well, maybe I'll learn react native instead of, um, just web-based react. And there are MIDI libraries, but like they work for Android, not iOS, or they work on windows, not Mac or what have you. Um, and to be fair, Swift, while it says it will work across multiple platforms, Swift UI is very much going to be an iOS app, a Mac OS thing. So that wasn't the primary motivation there. Um, but there was also all of the effort of if I'm in JavaScript and then I'm in React Native and I'm going to talk to a MIDI library, it's native already. Why not, you know, go that step step further and, and learn about the native experience? And so that's what got me into there. And then it's like, oh, yes, I remember some of this pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an awesome journey and, and a great reason to do it. I mean, if you 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 have the obviously the, the skills to make that happen and the uh, at the same time, like just sort of like the this this idea that makes it very uh, sort of clear that if you want to invest the time in, in doing it, just cut out the middleman frameworks mm -hmm. and everything else and go go straight to to working on the thing that uh <laughs> that your application is going to be addressing, which is really cool. And, you know, it's kind of from what it sounds like, based on what I heard last week, scripting MIDI uh, and, and inside of Logic Pro. And uh, I don't know where that's going to go from here. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, there will definitely be things coming up on that. Um, so, yeah, I think that was that's been my biggest. I've got a couple other ones that I'm happy to chat about, but maybe it's uh, I'll turn it over to you for one of yours in 2022. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, hey, good call. I was thinking <laughs> you'd go through your three first, but we'll, we can do one of mine. Um, one of my, my first one actually might end up being pretty short because we've done an entire episode on it plus multiple follow-ups. Uh, so I, I won't go into it uh, like super deeply. Um, but yeah, my one of mine in uh, 2022 was uh, open API tooling and exploring that, which 
you know, as I've talked about before, uh, why now? Uh, because like this stuff has been going on forever. But, um, you know, I just think it's an interesting moment in time to kind of have a look at uh, the state of open API tooling mm-hmm. uh, around Node.js. Uh, and, um, you know, open API tools, um, just or the concept of open API, I guess I should say, uh, is, is so insanely flexible, uh, which is just, you know, you take a declarative approach, just like writing, you know, a, a bunch of YAML in a file or split that out into multiple files. Um, but you can write that directly, but manually if you wanted to. Um, but there's ways to generate your way into uh, open API document, which we've talked about uh, a bit at length. And I also wrote a blog post on it. Go see some past episodes about that. Um, but also you can take that generated document or that manually created document, your API, open API document, and then use that to, on the other side, create servers or validation for API calls and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I just find it um, a really interesting um, technology because it can, it can kind of be wielded in so many different ways and it's deceptively simple on its surface. Uh, and at the same time, as, as I started to uh, dig into it uh, initially for Node.js, it also felt like, you know, in that transition from Swagger 2.x to OpenAPI 3.x, some of the tooling that you'll find mentions of on the web doesn't exist or hasn't been updated in a long time. Um, and at the same time, there's some new stuff out there that is still relatively new. Um, and it's just wasn't entirely clear as I was kicking the tires, like where I should go. Mm, and, yeah. you know, that turned into almost like a a bit of a, a passion might be a wrong word for this, but it certainly turned into a bit of a, of a session in the beginning, which was, OK, if there's just a bunch of stuff out there, some's new, some's old, uh, not sure which thing to use for my particular use case. Let's just go down a list and try a bunch of them out. And mm-hmm. uh, so I made some time to to do that. Uh, one of the big winners uh, for me was this tool called uh, OAS Tools, which we dedicated a whole episode about at some point. Um, again, that that's that's a tool that I think is in some ways uh, I don't want to say this in the wrong way. It's it's simple in the right way. It is also an early version of their 3.0 tool. Mm-hmm. Is my understanding uh, where just kind of reading between the lines and some of the documentation like 2.x had kind of gathered some dust, potentially other under other maintainers. I, I don't know the full story there, but it's it kind of maps to what I'm getting at, which was it just felt like there was this gap in sort of focus on tooling around open API at some point in uh, the last few years where it came to, uh, you know, working with open API and node. Right. And now it just feels like there's, there's some more interesting things there. Um, so I don't know, that's just been one of the things that I've been digging into, uh, over the past few months and it's been a lot of fun. So, um, if you want to, you know, take a deeper dive into thoughts around that (laughs) or potential tools and other things that you might try, um, feel free to go look at that episode. It's literally called OAS tools, deep dive. If Mm -hmm. I remember correctly, uh, not that far back in the feed. Yeah. And that, it was great. And I, I I haven't done a whole lot with, with that side of the house. I've been done very much front end development, but not a whole lot with the, the open API stuff. And so I, I, I enjoyed getting to, um, 
to go through a little bit of your travails and, and your journey in terms of discovering all of this stuff. Um, but also, um, get an understanding of, of, you know, when, why, and how, and, and a glimpse of the power of all of this stuff. And never mind, like even just, um, I, I suspect this is going to be a common theme. Um, but again, back to hearkening back to, um, it's hard to get a good developer experience initially, especially like now you've got this challenge of you had version two and version three and, and which, which path do you pick? And that had to be a little bit, bit of fun to try and actually figure that out. And there's no easy necessarily solutions to all of that stuff. But, um, I, I think, um, uh, the OAS tools feels like a good, um, good on good good path to a successful onboarding <laughs> yeah a hundred percent um definitely something that is let's say from my perspective very approachable for someone just kind of getting started with something like this and look at the end of the day uh you know where i've seen this in the in in real in the real world if you will um you know with people working with open api at uh, some point you're not just relying on some sort of set of tools that you pull off of a shelf, but that mm -hmm. you're kind of scripting your way, if you will, mm -hmm. or building bespoke sort of workflows um, that will might incorporate some of this stuff. So it's really just getting those core concepts down, uh, finding something fun that you can play with, uh, kind of as in, as part of your side projects. Um, but it's really those concepts that you'll you'll carry forward and find ways to make those work in different work contexts or other projects that you're building. Yeah. No, that's, 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 it. that's so cool. And, um, being able to have, um, I mean, open AI, uh, OIS tools is like active development. Like it's not something that you're, you're playing or working against that has had a lot of dust on it. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's kind of one of the other reasons why I kind of went with Swift UI back to, to what I was looking at is like, there's a lot of active development in that land compared to like the writing's been on the wall for objective C for so long. So it's like, it's kind of cool to be back in that environment where there's lots of activity, there's lots of things to go choose and play with. And then the hard part is like, it's almost like a, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, I can't even think of it, but oh, in some ways there's almost too many choices. So now it's like, okay, which one do I pick? And you can almost, you know, have a, have a, the choice, a paralysis of choice, um, trying to figure out which one is, is the one that I want to use. Um, but it's it's great that uh, like OIS tools was was there uh, ready and waiting for you to discover it. Yeah, totally. Well, awesome. Uh, so how about we uh, move on to your next one? It looks yes. like you have on the list state of JS tooling. <laughs> yeah. And this is um, how would I phrase it um, back into to familiar territory of JavaScript. Um, but a lot of the stuff that, um, we've been working on, or I've been working on at work, um, re uh, over the course of the year has been some stuff around, you know, how, how do we get people, um, onboarded onto, you know, a, a new platform or what have you. And there's a lot of stuff, um, you know, we've both you and I through our se past several years at Adobe, um, with the unified extensibility platform, we've gone through that pain of, of all of that stuff and was reminded this year of how much one how much javascript and web development in particular how much there is around the process um like in terms of i want to build something cute and simple and i don't want to have to go and do a lot but i still want to use react or i want to have a 
a nice UI framework on top of it, whether it's Bootstrap or um, um, any of the ones we've talked about on, on, on in previous episodes or um, a custom one or what have you. And I want to have uh, minification and dead tree. You know, it quickly turns into this um, big, uh, large amount of ancillary stuff that is building my project. So like, do I use Webpack? Do I use Parcel? Do I use some of these other things? And then I need to figure out which plugins do I want to use to get to dead tree removal or, or you know, the, the just the right settings to do all of these things. And it just kind of struck me that that can be, um, while I, I, I love React and, and I love a lot of these, you know, tools out there, is how do we approach making this um approachable like there's there can be a rather large cliff from just put something on a web page to making something production ready and there's all of this stuff around it to to get into the build process and you know generating all these bundles and things like that and sometimes it's not even just generating something for me to publish it's how do i consume this other library and so it's just been kind of a thing that's been top of mind this year and i don't have any answers here um, I feel like there's definitely ways we could improve it, um, but there's, it's it's just gotten really complicated. And when I re- look back to getting into web development, things were in some ways a lot easier. Um, like, didn't have to worry about Webpack, but you also didn't have the niceties about React and things like that. So I don't know if it's something that has you know one comes with the other. Um, but then when we were talking um, uh, about the last CSS uh, component framework that we were talking about, and it's like how it was choosing to do a lot of these things by default and give you good defaults, but didn't require you to do a lot of effort to get those default, the, the right behavior, it started making me think um, there's got to be easier, easier ways. Um, so that's been um, a challenge. And I don't have any answers, but one of the ones that um, I've I started digging into a little bit, um, and this is like a very small slice of the whole puzzle, but just just building, um, doing uh, building out your bundles. And I'm I've done Webpack. Um, I can use Parcel, um, but I don't know about you. Sometimes my frustration there is like <laughs> editing a Webpack config is the end of my good day, and it's going to be a painful day a- after that point. <laughs> so I don't like doing that too much. Parcel um, generally works great. Um, a lot of it just works out of the box. My challenge is, is that for a personal project that I'm working on, Retroputer, um, which I am, am in fits and starts. It's now been like a five-year-old plus project. Um, but it takes forever to get built if you're just running against builders or bundlers that are written in JavaScript. Mm. And so one of the ones that I came across was ES Build which I've really enjoyed using because it's not written in JavaScript. Uh, it might be in Go. I, I may be completely wrong about its base um, framework, um, but it is lightning fast. And so for me, the joy of doing, you know, building personal projects is how rapidly can I see the results on the screen or on the page. And with Webpack or Parcel, it would be many multiples of seconds, 30 seconds or more um, to actually build all this stuff out. And ES build does it like the first time I did ES build and it worked. So there's a little bit of configuration I had to do. Um, The first time I did it, it's like, did it really do it? Because it was so fast. It's like, 
it's done. <laughs> no, that's not possible. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, now I can take my iteration process down to like just a couple seconds instead of multiple um, tens of seconds, you know, past 30 seconds waiting for it to build. And so I build more frequently. Um, and I, I think there's other areas in which, you know, where parcel, I think had a good start of like working out of the box in the right way, you know, uh, zero configuration or being that the the goal. Yes, build is kind of like that, not quite to that degree, but then it also goes zero configuration or easy configuration, and then I'll do it quickly. I'll get out of the way in a heartbeat. Um, and so I've, I'm appreciating that quite a lot. Um, so in some ways, the pure, pure, the, <laughs> what's the right word? The purist in me says, oh, if you're built compiling or bundling your JavaScript, then the tool should be written in JavaScript. On the flip side, JavaScript isn't always the fastest language. I'm, ha you know, ES build converted me is like, if, it, if you can use another language and, and do it quickly, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Uh, again, just kind of thinking through some of the, I think we've mentioned this before, but some of the other kind of build tools, you and I've had to wait on for different things um, in the past mm -hmm. with projects we were on, but other ones I've seen. Um, yeah, anything that slows it down uh, is, you know, it's just going to cause more problems. And definitely uh, most of those problems come from my inability <laughs> to focus if I know I'm going to be sitting there <laughs> and waiting for 45 seconds, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, what's 45 seconds or four minutes? What am I supposed to do with that? You right. know, uh, it's sort of like, you know, when one meeting ends early and right, you know, you've got like an extra yes. six minutes and it's before the next one. And it's like, this is just enough time for me to do in something and get lost in it and yes. then forget to show up to the next thing. I have done that far too many times of waiting for a build to stop. And it's like, oh, wait a second. I got invested in this other thing and I didn't even check to see if my last changes actually were right. And so then you end up piling multiple changes on top of each other and that does no one any favors. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is an, uh, this is an awesome t uh, sort of topic to bring up. Certainly been on my mind as well uh, and kind of like leads in nicely to mm. Uh, my my sort of next thing, if, if we're cool jumping yes. over, which is just kind of thinking about front end stacks in general. So um, when I, you know, started wading into the front end a little bit more uh, for the first time in, let's say, a, a pretty good while, um, I guess every time I do that, and oftentimes, as we've discussed previously, there will be a gap because I just kind of naturally kind of want to spend more time in the logic layer and the server side of things. Um, and coming back to the front end, uh, you know, kind of in the second half of this year, after a little bit of time away, just once again, ha the number of decisions I have to make up front. <laughs> yes. you, know, you alluded to this for just a moment, but okay, we've talked tooling already, so I won't belabor that point. But I, I will just point out that among the things you list, uh, the thing that I've been relying on isn't there. Um, you know, so like there's even more things outside of the the quick list that you gave, which is shouldn't surprise anybody. Hey, it's <laughs> it's JavaScript front ends after all. Of course, there's lots of choices um, and always new ones. I've been using something called Vite. And uh, mm. as we've also talked about, um, that <laughs> basically it's just working. And should it not work, uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time learning what Vite is. Currently, it's just kind of like, you know, when I got started uh, bootstrapping um, uh, this little project I'm working on, 
it kind of came with the bootstrap uh, mm-hmm. application just as part as part of the ride. And uh, it's the build tool. It's doing something and it seems to be working all the time. Uh, that's kind of a dangerous place to be, but it just really <laughs> isn't what I want to be focusing on at the moment. And this is not something that's, uh, let's say, you know, making sure that rockets don't fall out of the sky or something like that. Right. So I'm okay with it. Sometimes you just, you can't, um, you, you can't be, you know, that deep on all elements of your stack. If you're doing full stack, especially in a world where stacks are so fat, um, you know, in terms of like, there's a layer for everything. Oh Um, my goodness. So many layers. (laughs) So the tooling stuff aside, uh, you know, the other thing that uh, we've talked about a bit and uh, at least for, you know, my piece here, we've talked about some of this enough that we may not have to go super deep, but I'll just bring it up. You know, the tooling mm-hmm. is one decision you have to make, but you've also got to make some decisions around your view layer uh, yeah. and that framework, uh, as well as uh, your CSS framework or, you know, what I might call like the layout and styles uh, layer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I, I think in some ways on when it comes to front end, I can make all this stuff work. Occasionally, I lack maybe the, let's say the terminology or the taxonomy to describe some of these things. So, you know, where you have um, on the view side of things, how I think about that is like, are you going to use React? Are you going to use Vue? Are you going to use Svelte? Mm -hmm. Are you going to use maybe just uh, browser provided DOM APIs, uh, which occasionally I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to end it all and I'm just (laughs) going to use DOM APIs. And then you use them and remember why this is not happening. Yep. So it's interesting because like one of the things when when you spoke a moment ago about like, well, what about the uh, mere mortal developer who shows up and says, well, I just want to use React for something simple. It's that's that's definitely a thing that happens. No question about it. Where I always come from, though, is a bit different, which is I just want to have a UI that displays dynamically updates of like lists of things, Mm -hmm. whether they're actual lists or they're divs or whatever else it is, user can interact and it updates. And um, why do I need all of this stuff when I, there are APIs in the browser for this and then quickly I remember why (laughs) Um, I've done that. And I I remake that sort of, purest i have that purest moment where i'm like i won't none of this stuff i'm none of it and i'm just gonna call you know whatever it is um and um you know that lasts for 30 seconds if not less time (laughs) and i start thinking through that again and i'm like all right yeah this this is uh inevitably so here's the thing right because it's easy for me to say to myself this project is going to be simple and contained and DOM APIs will be sufficient. The thing is, <laughs> it's pretty easy to move on past that mm-hmm. fast enough where simple becomes not so simple anymore. And you're juggling a bunch of stuff uh, trying to, you know, just try to keep up with application state and uh, all, all this sort of like cleaning up of the DOM and everything else. Yes. To the point where now you've, if you've started with the DOM APIs, you now have a refactor on your hands faster than you thought. Rewrite the whole yes. front end. Which is not fun for anyone. No. Definitely not me because uh, I, you know, uh, again, I'm just trying to get some functional UI on the page, not really trying to like, that's not where I have my, that's not my happy space, let's say. So um, 
anyways, I think that, uh, yeah, just kind of like, that's one of the things that you have to think about is when you're thinking about front end stacks is again, pick your set of tooling, your tooling layer, uh, this ephemeral thing that will make things better for you in ways that at the outset, you might not even be that sure about until you have experience with some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you got to pick your view layer. Um, sometimes that just kind of happens by default. Uh, you know, I kind of kick the tires on a number of different things every time I start a new project and then just go back to React. Why? Uh, not because I love React necessarily, but just because I know that if I have any problems, uh, yes, I can Google the answer. Yep. It's easy to find support. There's there's big communities out there that that you can go to. Worst case, um, and I don't don't know about you, but it's also um, comfortable. Like I'm familiar enough with it that it's easy to fall back onto it. That's true. I am used to it in a way that you know I've I've tried some of the other frameworks that are currently popular that get me out of my comfort zone fast enough uh, that. I'm just kind of like, I'm not sure if that's the challenge I'm trying to tackle here. So I I move on. Mm -hmm. So yes, uh, you pick your view layer and then you probably are going to be picking a uh, CSS framework of some kind. Uh, So we we talked about this one at length on a podcast episode, maybe uh, an episode or two ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that's worth going and checking out. We talked, you know, a little bit about Bootstrap and a lot about Tailwind CSS um, one of the cool things, again, that uh, not to go down that whole path because there's a full episode about it, but um, I think one of the things that I find, um, you know, most convincing the longer I've kind of let it sit in my brain. And, and we talk about like the the reasoning, you know, that Tailwind sort of states in its documentation, the case that it makes for itself mm-hmm. One of those things that I find quite attractive, uh, the more I think about it, is, you know, the just-in-time compiler that it has now. Yes. That is, by default, only giving you what you need and no more. In other words, it's giving you what you use. It's not the whole thing at the very beginning. Please try to remember to tree shake this later. No. Instead, you are um, starting out like in your in your projects. Uh, you only ever have the CSS that you're actually using, and the whole idea. One of the sort of key tenets behind you know that uh, Tailwind as a framework is trying to make sure that you're you know not having your CSS grow and grow and grow and grow. Um, so of course, there's probably some size that you can't prevent, but at the same time. I just found that that sort of way of thinking, you know, start with as little as possible and no mm-hmm. more and only add what you need uh, is really attractive to me. So I'm, I'm quite happy with that choice. But just in general, front end stacks across the board have been really interesting because once again, I just kind of mid year looked up and said, oh, yeah, front end. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to have to. And then thought, oh, yeah, right. So react or whatever. And then I'm like, yeah, but CSS framework. Yeah, but tooling also. <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> Yeah, this, it turns into a whole thing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of decisions to be made uh, and a lot of things to learn along along the way, um, you know, but I, I've, I've definitely had uh, as much as I like to sort of <laughs> laugh about how complex these things are these days. Um, I've had some good experiences with things. Mm-hmm. Like you said, React is comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get what you need out of it. You know, there isn't a billion things to learn about it um, as because it's not the super batteries included type of way of doing things. Right. Um, again, Tailwind, I'm finding um, quite comfortable once I got over that initial hump of 
but why? Um, which, <laughs> or this feels wrong. <laughs> yes, which we explored at length in that episode. Um, so I guess the tooling layer is like sort of the last bit um, that I want to kind of maybe look at a little bit more. Again, to the extent that that can fade into the background, um, you know, professionally, yeah. that's not a, that's not something that I, I have to deal with uh, on the regular anyways. Um, and for my side projects and like little things I work on at home, they are, uh, you know, they're they're fine with those defaults because there's nothing that, you know, kind of depending on you know, the, the exact right sort of configuration <laughs> or performance or, you know, this is mostly just stuff for me or, right. you know, and that kind of thing. But it is an area worth, worth learning about. It's one that has changed so much over the years as oh, all man. parts of front end seem to do. Uh, but as you mentioned, there was a time where I think browser tooling equals uh, browserify. Yep. Uh, and uh, <laughs> since then, <laughs> it's well, only gotten bigger. out of the picture but then there was the webpack and then now there's there's parcel and i i would assume Vite goes in that bucket as well mm -hmm. and i'm sure there's plenty of other ones yeah yeah and i think it it's um it's just interesting um the the and you know, to 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 watch the patterns and you know how it how it expands and then it contracts as as you get on to a fairly a happy path and everyone coalesces on it. It's just really interesting to me from the JavaScript perspective because JavaScript is so unopinionated about all of these things versus like other languages where like my complaints about the compiler or or package management like in Swift it's it's defined for you like you're going to use Swift package manager and you're using Xcode to build out all of these things. Um and I'm not saying it's fun necessarily to use those but it's also a well-defined thing like not you're not having to reinvent the wheel multiple times so it is really like i'm i love seeing all these tooling things happen um and there's wonderful things about all of them and yet on the flip side it does really complicate things when you're going i'm starting something new which one do i pick <laughs> mm -hmm. and for my brain that's a hard choice yep uh and something that you always have to kind of keep your radar out and keep your skills sharp and that kind of thing. So yes. I seem to do it just enough to kind of need to relearn everything once every, <laughs> once every couple of years, but fine, fine. I can do that. Um, and in some ways, once I get past my initial sort of uh, uh, shock, you know, at, at the state of things, uh, I, I got to say as much as I sort of let on the interact, like I'm just appalled at all of this. Like there, there's a certain amount of, once you get into that groove, it does start to get fun again. Yes, um, and it does. you know, at the end of the day, uh, you gotta have user interfaces. <laughs> so what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. You do have to wait to get checkboxes and such in there, which is, um, you gotta have, we don't, a have, tele we don't have telepathic computers yet. <laughs> <laughs> Although, uh, yeah, I do know somebody who's working on that, but <clears throat> for a future episode. And by the way, uh, my understanding is that their APIs are all, uh, no JS based. Oh, um, interesting. Yes. So, <laughs> Uh, that's all I know. I can't even remember the company name off the top of my head. I'll have to dig it up and see. Uh, but <laughs> maybe some interesting stuff to talk about in the future. Absolutely. Um, well, cool. Um, I think staying on the JavaScript topic for a moment, um, one of the other things that, that I was really excited to do in 2022, um, and I have not done nearly as much as this that I want. I'm in the middle of it as time permits. Um, but... Um, there was a period of time, uh, you know, a happy period of time a few years ago where JavaScript was turning on all these cool, um, like multi-threading, um, 
functionalities that where you could have lots of threads running and they're all communicating with each other. They're all sharing memory. They're all doing, uh, it's starting to feel a little bit more like um, C or something like that, where you could get um, more fine grained. Not everything is sitting on this, on the single thread. And then um, something called Spectre happened and we realized JavaScript was fast enough to cause, uh, to, to enable, you know, malicious actors to actually, uh, read portions of memory they shouldn't have access to and, and all of these things, which is, I guess, a plus for JavaScript. It's, you know, it's, it's absurd how actually fast JavaScript can be. I know I was just complaining earlier that JavaScript was slow for building things, but it's also crazy that JavaScript can be so fast. And, um, a little project that I have already mentioned called Retroputer, I was building out, um, using, um, shared array buffer atomics and workers. And the reason I was doing this a couple years back was um, this is trying to emulate a machine that did not exist. It's got a, you know, a CPU and a graphics processor and all of these things. It'd be great if they were all running in their own threads um, on, so that they could process independently and then you know, act a little bit more like a real computer or emulator could work um, rather than having to rely on everything on the single thread and, and timing was getting out of control. And so I thought started working on workers and shared array buffer so that I could have these workers communicate with each other without always having to yield each thread. Because if you're using post message with a worker, you have to you have to yield so that JavaScript can react to that message. And um, all of that takes a little bit of time, slows everything down. And if you're trying to get fast performance out of, say, an emulator, you don't want to have to yield uh, every time through to, to check if a message is waiting, you'd rather just be signaled that yes, there's a message, go act on it and continue your, um, your run loop. And so atomics and shared array buffers worked great to that, uh, for that you could have an atomic out there that would send a signal across the worker. Um, you didn't have to wait for a message event to happen. You could, you'd just be immediately signaled that the value changed and then you'd know to go look for it. And then because you had a shared array buffer all of these threads are contributing to the same pool of memory, which is great for an emulator, less so for other JavaScripty things. <laughs> um, but you know, for example, when you're dealing with uh, a graphics processing unit that needs to read portions of memory and a CPU that is modifying other portions of memory, it it works great for emulation. And then Spectre happened, and it all went away, and um, I had to to live with that not being part of my little retroputer thing, and. For whatever reason, I checked back this year to see what was the state. In fact, I check back about every year. <laughs> what is the state of shared array buffer and atomics and workers in JavaScript? And can you have things like shared arrays? And lo and behold, um, more browsers are coming back to this. Um, they have additional requirements. So you now have to be hosted from a secure context. Um, and you have to have some cross-origin settings, and I'll link to this in the show notes. It's not a whole lot of effort to set up, um, but you don't get it by default. You have to do some work to explicitly turn these things back on. But once you have them, you're back into this wonderful world of, uh, uh, of workers running full tilt, using atomics to communicate back and forth, shared array buffers, and it's not just a Chrome thing. Chrome was like the earliest, if I remember back um, a couple years ago, that turned shared array buffer and all of these things back on. And then it's just been like a slow wait for like Safari or Firefox to turn them on. I think maybe Firefox came second and Safari was 
I love Safari, but sometimes their their pace about turning features on drives me up the wall. Um, and Safari finally brought that on board too. So now it works across, you know, multiple browsers. And I was just excited to have that come back um, for my particular use case. I know it's not everyone's particular use case. Um, not everyone is writing emulators or emulators for fake computers that never existed in the first place, which is a, arguably a strange thing to be doing. Um, but um, <laughs> it, I love, I enjoy doing it because it exercises a lot of things that I wouldn't otherwise normally get to experiment with, like threads and all of these things. And so I checked back this year and all of these things were turned on. And if you go to just a little bit of effort, you can actually turn these on in the browser. And so I was so excited. And I have worked on it a, a whole grand total of maybe a couple times, unfortunately. Um, so it is in my to-do list to get back to it in the next couple of weeks to to finish the implementation of, of all of that stuff. Um, but so far, so good. And it does greatly help with performance um, instead of always having to yield, wait for the event processing to happen, and then get back into a run loop. And so when you say that you're going to be able to share something related to these uh, shared ar array buffers, is this something that I was just kind of digging through the um, TC39 proposals uh, on GitHub as, mm -hmm. just to see why it's mentioned? Is this something that's already been approved or would it, I'm just seeing if I could dig oh, it yes. up somewhere. Yeah. So if you go on MDN, um, Mozilla, ah. um, the developer network there, um, these have been around for a while and it was kind of annoying that we had to take them out because Spectre happened. Um, and now the, the change has been that the approval of what it takes to turn them back on is, um, uniform across all the browsers now. Um, and that's what took so long for like Safari and, and things like that to turn these flags back on was getting agreement with everyone. How are we going to let developers opt back in and say, these are, you know, I want to turn these features back on. And so it basically turns into, um, it's not onerous and, and I'll link in the show notes. There's definitely a, um, if you look under shared array buffer on MDN, scroll down a little bit and there's a security requirements section mm -hmm. and it gives you, um, it tells you you have to have a secure context. So it needs to be, um, SSL, um, or, um, you can do over local, uh, there's a way you can do it over local hosts. Like you don't have to spin up a, a self-signed certificate or things like that um, when you're just doing local development. Um, and you have to do a couple of settings in your headers. Um, so like cross-origin owner, opener policy and cross-origin embedder policy has to be set. And then once you turn these couple things on, um, the hard part is, and I shouldn't say it's a hard part, the, um, the, the, the part that took me the longest <laughs> was just configuring um, my local HTTP server uh, to send the the right headers. That was the hardest part. Um, and I'll see if I have an example of that and link it in a gist for the show notes. Um, but once it was turned on, it's like everything lit up and it's like, oh, now I have new things to play with. <laughs> nice. Oh, really cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, TIL, this is definitely not a part of the sort of <laughs> JavaScript world that I spend any time on whatsoever as someone who's not sort of like building emulators. But I think like that's one of the things I love when we get a chance to talk about Retroputer occasionally is like um, just it seems to take you to places that maybe the uh, average JavaScript person is not going. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be clear, like you have to have very specific use cases for these. But 
Um, that's, and I'm not using like Atomics or Shared Array Buffer 2 anywhere of their full potential, but I'm just using them as like a signaling mechanism to say, hey, other thread, I've done something, you need to react to it rather than waiting for it to be ready to receive a post message or things like that. To be clear, I still send a post message. All I'm using Atomics for is saying, hey, now's the time to stop so that you can yield rather than yielding on a set timeout basis or an interval basis. Um, and oddly enough, in the case of an emulator, um, set timeout or even request animation frame, all of that yielding is not zero cost. So if you're trying to run something as fast as possible, um, even yielding on a periodic basis to check if to let JavaScript check if messages have been sent takes a considerable amount of time. And so if you can skip that and use an atomic to signal, hey, I've sent a message your way, you need to react to it. That is so much faster. Mm. Um, and so probably not applicable to most people, but if you're doing a thread that is doing like high, high com um, heavy computation, like maybe you're doing a complicated math problem, and oftentimes um, you would you would say like you don't want to block your threads necessarily because then like what if the user wants to cancel the calculation halfway through? You'd usually have to build it in such a way that you've got it batched with set timeouts all over the place. And this way you can say, go run full tilt. And all you have to do is have a little check in there is did the atomic change? And if it did, then I can yield right off the bat. And it's, it's, a, it's faster than always having to, and easier in some ways than figuring out how to write your algorithm in a batchable fashion. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, lots of new things to learn here. Uh, really cool. I'm going to put a link to Retroputer in the show notes as well. So people can go check that out. Um, Little did I know it, it's it's gone on to V2 at some point since maybe we last <laughs> talked about it. So that's really neat. Um, yes. I, I, I didn't get a chance to read the whole thing, but there were some warnings there about like taking things with huge grains of salt, I believe is how you wrote that. So, uh, but I think like, you know, Retroputer kind of as, as, as its own sort of emulator of a computer that never existed. Uh, it's always been an interesting project, but again, I think like it's the, the sort of, um, implementation details mm -hmm. that kind of serve as just like a, a really fun thing to talk about. And generally speaking, that is mostly not new learning for me when you are like down at much lower levels of the machine than typically, a, you know, again, a JavaScript developer might find themselves. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's proven immensely, immensely fun to work on. And I keep meaning to get to it. Um, Christmas has, has found ways of getting, stopping me from actually working on it this month but one of these days <laughs> one of these days cool we do need to talk about that again at some point though so um well i think i have one more of my sort of things that were uh interesting in in uh 2022 uh, mine is uh full stack app hosting mm. in that lay of the lands uh actually in my trusty notebook um that i keep with me at all times whereas making like a little grid of just like different sort of uh, full stack app hosting solutions that you could probably imagine are basically like built on top of for the most part, for the most part, I assume are built on top of like the major cloud providers and they abstract all of that away to make it easier just to ship, um, you know, JavaScript or like I say JavaScript, but hey, let's face it, probably a lot of JavaScript apps. Um, so um, yeah, that's what I've been kind of like just kind of surveying the lay of the land on recently. Um, and so to that end, I thought I'd just call out like, what have I been looking at when I mm -hmm. say these full stack app hosting solutions? You're talking about things like Vercel, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, things like uh, Netlify, Cloudflare, um, Railway, which is, a, I think, a newer one from what I can tell. I hadn't heard about that one yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, again, I and uh, as soon as I say it's interesting, I'm like, I want to say a bunch of things <laughs> about this. I will not um, because there's there's a time and a place. And I think every one of these could could be a deep dive, to be honest. Um, and another one I looked at uh, that tends to uh, advertise a lot on um, podcasts out there called the uh, fly.io. Mm. Um, and so just kind of was making a, a chart for myself uh, just to start to understand what are the differences? What are the comparative like kind of pros and cons? What are they aimed at? Right. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I think one of the one of the ways that I've kind of found myself run afoul, run afoul of some of these <laughs> <laughs> app hosting services is. I'll write the application the way I want to and then bring mm. it thinking it's just going to leave me alone and host it. Now, if that's what you want, DigitalOcean or the like, yes. maybe a, uh, what's the one that also um, hosts on, or they advertise on a lot of podcasts? Linode, I think. I, I've never, Linode, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, those two, I, I've, I've been a DigitalOcean customer myself in, in you know, mm-hmm. uh, in the past and it's just, you know, I'm sure they have a lot of other services that you can purchase and, and use that are on more, more of like rails. I, I assume these days, but my favorite part of it from you know, a long time ago was simply that you get a machine in the clouds and you kind of yes. do what do with it, what you will. And that's quite compelling. Mm-hmm. Some of these full stack app hosting services have a way of doing things in mind or yes. they also may, for example, um, have certain things they don't want you to do, right? Mm-hmm. One, one of the things I didn't even mention in the list, because in my mind, I, I don't know, for whatever reason, I'm just kind of like not thinking about it at all these days is um, Heroku. Mm-hmm. Um, but Heroku, for example, I, I had that moment sometime in the um, slightly distant past is uh, taking like trying to say, for example, one of the ways of building an app that I will often default to, but when we look at 2023, I'll talk about like how I'm kind of trying to move away from that potentially, or at least learn how to, is generally like if I'm going to do a full stack app, I'm going to have an API server, going to have a database server and a front end server. That's mm-hmm. three servers, right? And, yeah. you know, I you don't have to tell me that that's not really the way people tend to do things as much uh, for like little full stack apps at this point. Um, but it's just what I was comfortable with. And it's easy to kind of like just identify a stack for each one of those things uh, and just go for it. Mm-hmm. The thing is, let's say, for example, on if you wanted in that sort of paradigm where you're going to have front end, back end and database as separate servers. Well, one of the easy things you can do to cut out some of the server ink server creation and maintenance <laughs> things is, um, you know, if it's a small app, again, I sometimes will just build things I need to use at home or whatever. Um, just SQLite is your friend. It's oh, I love SQLite. Just a file in the file system. And, and so you can throw that on your API server and you're happy. Now, would you do this if you're building the next Twitter or whatever? No, you would not. But like for, um, I, I think SQLite, uh, people often sleep on it when it could actually be kind of a very simple solution to some of your mm-hmm. early problems. And the the path to migrating to something else isn't, you know, again, I'll, I'll say that it's not that fraught. Uh, right. Like if I needed to move over to a Postgres or something, I could do that. There's, yeah. there's known ways of going about that. Doing that at scale, I'm sure that's hard. But <laughs> generally speaking for my apps, that's not the problem. So um, 
anyways, uh, coming back to finding the app hosting um, sort of way of thinking, right? Some of these mm-hmm. full stack app hosting things have a way of doing it. They're not just saying, here's your Linux box or Unix box in the cloud, go crazy, do whatever. They kind of have certain things that ways of doing things they want you to adhere to. For Heroku, for example, um, if you want to ship an API server with uh, SQLite, well, I got bad news for you if you think that you're just going to be storing a file on the file system there True. because they have this thing known as the ephemeral file system. So what that means is all your code stays the way it, you know, it's it's the way you ship it is the way it's going to stay, um, but it's not going to store ass like files, right? right? Or static assets or whatever. Mm-hmm. So those get wiped when the machine goes down. Um, so assuming you're on what used to be their hobby plan, which I was, um, that means that every time the sort of machine stops and is waiting to be spun up next time someone actually wants to use it, well, in between those times, your file system, except for like all the code that's been written, is essentially wiped. Um, so you can have that ephemeral file system at runtime while the server's up, but you shouldn't be depending on that to exist next right. time around. Well, um, early in, in my early days of using Heroku, I did not understand what was going on. No. I had not heard the words ephemeral file system before, and uh, it took me quite a while to figure out why is it every time I show up tomorrow, my database has been emptied. Oh, no. And thankfully, you know, again, home app, whatever. I mm-hmm. All of this stuff was like locally. Everything I needed was on my local machine. I just re-push it. But I'm like, this obviously isn't okay. What's going on here? And then kind of digging into it, you realize, okay, ephemeral file system. So... Heroku had a way they wanted you to go about doing things. And Mm. of course, theirs was um, you need to host a database server. Oh, by the way, we offer you a whatever they call their Postgres in the cloud thing. Do that. It's fairly turnkey. So, you know, same kind of thing I would I would suggest with something like a Vercel, for example, like Mm -hmm. they they want you to be doing, you know, they have a framework called Next.js and which uses React. And there's a bunch of things that. There's definitely a happy path assumed. Right. Um, and you won't just be s- shipping like whatever you feel like it um, and then expect all of that to work out, you know, <laughs> just immediately. So um, that's the one thing that has been interesting for me to kind of dive into a bit is like if I go with a hosting provider that puts me a bit more on rails yeah. in terms of how they want me to do things. What are the benefits to that? Because mm-hmm. like, you know, if you know, for example, you're going to be going to like shipping something on a provider, a, a hosting provider that expects you to do things in certain ways, you probably want to know that as you begin breaking ground on your system architecture. Yes. Because what you don't want to have... Vitally important. <laughs> vitally important, right? Because like, okay, say for example, again, SQLite to Postgres, like once I knew on Heroku what was going on, that transition was not a painful one whatsoever. It was more, it felt more like filing paperwork than anything else. It's just <laughs> tedium. I was like, all right, fine. I know what working? I'm going to, I can see what I'm going to have to do here. Uh, and I don't like it, but I can do this. And it wasn't, it didn't take that long. Um, but let's say for example, like going with something like uh, Vercel, if you've done some, built an app where you have separate, API and um, front end servers and they're intended to be two different servers and you were just going to like thinking you're going to dump those on a box and they could just like talk to each other or whatever. Um, 
maybe there's a way, way to make a way to make that work in Vercel. I don't know what that is because as soon as I started looking at it, it's like, oh, again, they have, I can see what they want me to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, for now, am actually quite interested in doing it that way. At, at first, I was sort of like, why would I sort of build my system according to the way this app provider wants me to do it? Shouldn't they just give me a box and leave me alone? <laughs> But the thing is, there's potentially, you know, especially for small projects, like value and kind of going with the flow a little bit, right? Yeah, exactly. It was sort of like the front end framework discussion at some point. It's like, well, I I know how I want to do this. And it's going to be the old sort of fashion way of using DOM APIs or whatever. Or like, it's like, well, I know how I want to architect my system. It's going to be different servers for everything. And yeah, time and a place for all that stuff, potentially, especially on the server side. That's that can be a valid play. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. But if you're building a hobby project, it's fairly standard kind of API server with the front end and a database. Um, maybe adopting someone else's pattern, not a bad idea, especially in a world where, as we have mentioned before, with Node, um, everything's unopinionated. <laughs> I saw on Hacker News just today, someone was like balking at the fact that it's been, what, close to 12, 15 years. Uh, can't be 15 it's gotta be more like 12 or so right but since node came out and there's still sort of like very little in the way of like an a ruby on rails kind of like right (laughs) thou shalt do things this way kind of uh perspective on things that's a double-edged sword yeah Um, and uh i like that you don't necessarily at some point you are going to be able to make all the decisions yourself if you want to um, but I think getting started and also just for a, a hobby project or something, just having some sort of simple framework is actually um, getting closer to being more palatable to me uh, mm-hmm. than I, I may have been being a little pigheaded about this at some <laughs> point. So I'm like, you know what? Actually, no, I, I see it. And so I want to suspend disbelief a bit here and just try some stuff out. Well, yeah. And I think it's nice because I think there's valuable or it's valuable in that world because um, when everything is so unopinionated, like I, I, I'd almost liken it to, um, you know, if I'm thinking about music, a blank project and I can set it up a million different ways, but that's, that's effort I have to go to, to set it up. Even if I'm just doing it by rote and making the project the way I want, like you know, I should start creating templates and all of these things, but then it's all of these other things. Like it's a blank piece of paper and that can be in some ways crippling to get started versus if you have some of this support structure around you, or like if I were doing it music and uh, or art, like, you know, these prompt books, you know, to kind of get your creative juices flowing, you can start kind of going down a path and you're still being very creative, but it kind of gets you started easier quit more quickly and like with these things um you know they have specific ways you want to do them it's also nice knowing that those specific ways work and are supported and if you have a problem you're not the first one you know you're not the first one you're not inventing a new 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 oddball thing that no one's going to be able to help you with you can get support from from uh, these hosting companies to actually figure out what's going on which i really like and yeah, especially like at some point, I don't want to be my uh, one person <laughs> yes. DevOps team on all these little projects that I have that, you know, something kind of blows up again. Like you said, I'm, I'm on the hook for it because I haven't adopted some sort of like common pattern that the app 
or sorry, the, the hosting provider is pushing you towards. So there's just no way to sort of go in other than to do the hard work. Uh, I've definitely found myself there with DigitalOcean in the past. Mm-hmm. No fault of their own. It's just me. They give me a box. I do what I want with the box uh, for both my benefit and my detriment. <laughs> uh, and then when the detriment yes. stuff comes along, it's always like, uh, here's a weekend of things I don't want to do for something that probably doesn't matter that much anyways. Uh, but it's it's definitely never going to work again if I don't go in and fix whatever IT admin slash DevOps yeah. problem this is. Yeah, my, my patience for being an IT admin dwindles every year I get older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, where do you want to be spending your time? And, uh, you know, look, there, there are definitely folks out there that like, that's where they want to do it. And, and I think those people are amazing. Yes. Um, I'm not one amazing. of them. <laughs> Kudos to y'all. Um, my brain doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> So I'll, I'll also just kind of mention a few things here, uh, right, in term, in the context of full stack app hosting, which is, again, all these things that I mentioned earlier, like these are places where, for the most part, you'll be hosting your code. Optionally, you're, well, you're still going to need to figure out what to do with your database in mm-hmm. almost all of those cases, as far as I'm aware. Um, and frequently, they will have, just as Heroku did, like their own sort of flavor of whatever sort of database hosting that they do Mm -hmm. at the same time there's a few things that i thought i might call out that are also interesting um probably anybody listening to this would know what they're they are but i I found it's just been a lot of fun to have excuses to play around with each each Mm -hmm. um superbase um which has kind of taken the world by storm um in a lot of ways they they build themselves as like a open source alternative to um firebase okay uh, that makes sense. Which is, uh, it's interesting because like the way that I'm using it so far is really it's just, uh, not just, but it, it's not the, when I thought about Firebase in the past, I always thought of it as like this sort of very socket-based database kind of very real-time kind of thing. I'm not using any of that in Superbase right now. It's just an awesome post, like hosted Postgres database. <laughs> and that's all I'm using it for. And um, maybe there's plenty of other features that maybe if I have a need for them, I'll, I'll, I'll go deeper. But mm-hmm. you know, if if you look at Superbase on its surface and think, oh, Firebase, like that's, that's probably for feature set a bit overkill. I won't use some of that socket stuff. I don't need it. Right. Um, well, I actually, Superbase is a lot more than that, mm. I, I would say. Um, and... Uh, in some ways you can just do the simple things and it's just nice and it works. It's great developer experience and all that. So dig that one. Planet scale um, is more, if I remember right, in MySQL, also super popular. Nice. Um, the hosted database there um, and uh, really good developer experience. I haven't used that one quite as much, but I've played around with it a bit. Um, thought it was cool. Uh, and then um, I happened upon one as I was kind of kicking the tires on a few of these. Again, I was just kind of been doing my own personal survey of the lay of the land of some of these. And there's another one called Neon that I think is pretty new. Um, and they are also uh, Postgres, hosted Postgres in the cloud. Um, for what I got to do there, it was just, you know, make some databases and then use them. I mean, which is really all I want. I which mean, is what you want to yeah. do. It's like, <laughs> it, it's hilarious in terms of when it works. It's like, it, it's like, it, it, it just works. It's hard. You, you don't have a lot of, you know, to, to talk about. It's just, it's doing its job. And it's like, I, I love it when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so also just do an honorable mention. Uh, this isn't like a hosted full stack app thing at all, but Prisma as an ORM mm-hmm. uh, layer between your node app and your database. Um, I just love it. 
uh, and there's there's this one's actually definitely has deep dive potential at some mm, point just yes. to kind of walk through it. But I, I won't. Um, I know I've mentioned it before anyways, briefly, um, but just thought I would call that one out as well. Now, I I I love that um, these services exist. I love that the experience around them is I, I've, I've, I've played with a few of these. I haven't used all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but the ones that I have run through is like, it's nice getting to, you know, it's, you know, maybe not 30 seconds to success, but it's a, it's fairly rapid assuming you are following the rails. Um, so there are definitely benefits to get to, to using those rails. Cause you can actually get something up out there useful um, without having to do a lot of your own um, planning or figuring out your stack or what have you, um, or figuring out how to be an IT admin again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've we've covered a lot of uh, stuff just that caught our attention in 2022. Some of it is like not necessarily new. Some of it is like what's old is new again. And some of mm-hmm. it's uh, future looking uh, for sure. And I think that's like kind of the fun of uh, being in the mix of like building things. Um, Absolutely. It kind of a mix of all those things. And uh, whether it's just talking about JS tooling, um, you're diving into Swift uh, or just like kind of newer features in, in JavaScript or um, features that were once disabled and then <laughs> renewed or re <laughs> enabled. Re-enabled. Yes. Uh, but also talking open API and front end, uh, front end uh, stacks for the web and also full stack app hosting and, and database hosting. There's just a, so much stuff. Um, and each one of these is a whole ocean. Of oh, yes. Things that we could talk about. Um, <laughs> but we did it in a little over an hour. So moving on to 2023, here's my proposal. We're going to do rapid fire, like pew, pew, pew kind of thing where you and Beautiful. I each have like three things. You're going to go your three. I'm going to go my three. For each one of them, you get like a sentence or two. It's going to be unsatisfying. And that's great because we don't want to be satisfied about the new stuff. We want to like be left wanting more moving into next year and just enough to be like, ah, oh, Carrie, tell me more. And, I'm, yes. and But I can't say that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm going to like literally hold my mouth here and you're going to do your three and I'm going to say almost nothing and hope I don't break this sort of even flimsy little rule I just set for myself. Okay. 2023, uh, go! Pew, go. Pew, pew. Okay. 2023, my big three. Um, more Swift. In particular, I want to learn about building audio units. Um, ties back to our previous episode. Um, and a couple of frameworks, audio kit and MIDI kit. Um, I think that's going to be super cool. Um on topic uh, with with all of the craziness around Twitter these days, uh, Mastodon. I we I, I have an account over there. I know you, I think you do too as well, Ash. Um, I want to learn more about the Mastodon API. What is it like to build like a, a retroputer bot or something along those lines? Something that is interacting with the API on my behalf. Um, I think that'll be cool. And then JavaScript, as we know, um, is always evolving. There's some really interesting proposals coming down the line that um, improve working with things like sets or with iterators. Um, there's always this question mark about a pipe operator, which I think would be amazing to have in JavaScript. Um, and so I really am looking forward to seeing some of these things continue to mature and explore those in 2023. 
Nice list. And I just want to call out that I'm not asking you anything <laughs> about the pipe operator. Uh, so I just... That's all I'm going to say about that. We're going that. to put a pin in it. That's right. Okay, cool. So now uh, my rapid fire pew, pew, pew for uh, 2023. Here we go. So first up, uh, kind of continuation of the last topic, uh, but kind of going into a newer dimension, which is uh, frameworks, uh, app frameworks that mix the client and the server. Uh, previously, I mentioned just in passing Remix as being one of those. I pulled it off the shelf and was sort of like, eh, what is this? Um, and uh, I realize I need to do some learning there, but I've been also deep diving into Next.js a lot, which also does this. Um, mm-hmm. And there's another thing out there called Astro right now, which I'm not totally sure if it even falls in this category. I suspect it might, but I need to go learn about it. So I'm going to be digging into some of these things. Um, next up is home labbing. I have less to say about this other than I want to do it. Um, and yes. <laughs> uh, I just need to make time to do it. So uh, TBD there. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely bring it up once I kind of get into it. And last one is uh, Scratch, because uh, my five-year-old, soon to be six-year-old, literally asked me yesterday, Dada, when are you going to start teaching me Scratch? And the reason (laughs) she knows that exists is that she was going to a little coding school um, until she started kindergarten and in September, and then times aren't aligning. Mm -hmm. But they had mentioned that she was working up towards this thing called Scratch, um, and then the teachers, knowing that I'm sort of in tech, they said, you should um, consider. <laughs> and I'm like, and she, she uh, like, consider helping her get started with that. Uh-huh. And then she can come back to the school when the times align. And uh, she absorbed that <laughs> passing mention. So <laughs> I have some things to do to figure that out. I haven't touched Scratch. Scratch, for those that don't know, is like a drag and drop sort of programming thing for kids from originally from MIT. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to do some learning on that and then try to find a good way to help her m- mostly get out of her way and let her kind of explore it on her own. Such a cool, um, like I, I'm always, uh, I always love seeing kids learn to absorb these concepts, um, whether it be for scratch or even like um, I give piano lessons to one of my nephews and just, you know, understanding, you know, how they approach learning and seeing the gears turn. It's such a wonderful experience. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I can't I can't wait. It's, it's it's been a lot of fun and she gets a lot of enjoyment out of the code stuff that she does. Uh, so what she does now is called uh, it's an app called Code Spark, which is the thing yes. they, they were using that at the little mm-hmm. sort of coding school she was going to for for the five-year-olds. And um, so I I went ahead and got her a copy of that at home for her iPad. And it's interesting because, you know, it's just they think they're playing games, but there's enough of a a chance to make things inside of it. And one of the things I've been surprised about is, again, I try to get out of her way with the stuff unless she asks. Uh, And you kind of watch them sometimes where they're doing stuff. And I'm like, oh, I just really want to show you like, (laughs) You do this. There's a different way, you but can I do I, it this way. <laughs> I, I will say I'm actually successful in stopping myself from doing that because I just know that that would be annoying to her. Right. Um, but what, what's been really interesting to find out, of course, is also, um, you know, kids figure things out. And today she showed me something on there. And I thought, like, it's one of these things where you set a bunch of instructions and then, like, let the little character go off and do its thing. So it's kind of like an automation mm-hmm. where you can need to kind of tell it what to do in advance and build with built-in loops and everything. And there was a time in the past where that was just basically chaos. And <laughs> I kind of looked over just thinking, eh. And uh, it was like 
perfect. I mean, I'll, and I was just uh, like, where in the world, when did you start to figure all of this stuff out on your own? It's just, uh, it's incredible. So it's amazing. Kids are fun. Kids are fun in that way. Like they're just like soak up new things and um, um, make me even more excited uh, just about being, hopefully giving her an environment where she mm-hmm. gets to just like happen upon stuff like this and then pick up the things she likes and kind of like explore it on her own. Yeah. Who knows what she will create next? <laughs> yeah. So, Hey, uh, as we close out, this is the last time that we're going to do a podcast uh, this year. Um, and you mentioned like the social media stuff. Um, I, I thought maybe I'll, I'll try to add a link to our um, Mastodons uh, mm-hmm. Mastodon accounts in the, in the show notes. I also thought maybe we could just say what they are, but I, it occurs to me, like, do you know how to do that? Like if I were to say, follow me on Mastodon at what comes after that? Yeah. So, um, you need the instance name. Uh, I am on Mastodon.cloud. Uh, I am at Carrie shots there. Um, and then for you, uh, what instance are you on and what's your handle there? Okay, I am on something called indieweb.social. Uh, that's indie as in I-N-D-I-E web.social. And I'm just Ash Ryan. Awesome. Look forward <laughs> to seeing you uh, follow. Uh, if you're on Mastodon, we look forward to uh, to, to interacting with you there. The, the way I just said that's going to age terribly. It's going to be like, <laughs> you, know, the, some of, you ever heard clips of the first time you'd have like sportscasters reading out like URLs? They're right. Like, <laughs> H T T P colon forward slash for yeah forward slash www period yeah thanks I'm glad I got to have one of those moments of my own in public thanks thanks um Mastodon and Yes, we got to get used to a new, new new language there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. I'm kind of starting to do a little bit more with it, so we'll see. Actually, that reminds me. One thing to do as we close out real quick is mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a picture of us, and I'm even talking about this in the podcast. And take a picture real quick. So here we go. And I'm Likewise. gonna post this. Here we go. You got it. <laughs> Three, two, one. There. Woohoo! <laughs> All right, and post it up on social uh, on the Mastodon. Uh, are the mastodons and um, <laughs> put it up there. I can't wait to hear what you're going to do with the mastodon API stuff. Again, I'm not going to ask you questions about that, but Carrie, I hope you have great, great holiday season. And uh, Likewise, I hope you have an amazing uh, Christmas and, and happy new year. Yeah. Christmas and new years are great, but Hey, I'd rather be scripting. Thanks for listening to this episode of I'd rather be scripting. If you love scripting, terminals, Z-Shell, JavaScript development, and other random technology tangents as much as we do, we'd love to hear from you. You can always leave a review on your preferred podcasting platform, or you can reach out to us via the social links on our website, idratherbescripting.com. Until next time, I'd rather be scripting.